Today is part two, part two of running hard after Christ. Running hard after Christ, all right? You ready to get in it? <laughs> Let's try it again. So today is part two of running hard after Christ. Yeah, so you ready to get in it? Yeah. All right, all right. So if you're not already there, I would invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we're looking at verses 12 through 16. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue Bible located underneath the seat around you. It's there for you to use. And in that Bible, page 981 will bring you to our text. All right? So we covered a lot. Well, we covered some last week, and so we're kind of picking back up where we left off. And, and if you didn't hear last week, I would encourage you, as I normally do, to go back. You can find last week's message online and to listen to it so that you get the full uh, explanation and um, understand the text well. But uh, let me go ahead and read the text and then a little review and then we'll jump in, okay? Beginning in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of you who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. All right, so just briefly some review Context, context, because this follows verses, this section of Philippians follows verses 8 through 11. And in 8 through 11, we saw that Paul's goal was since coming to know Christ on the road to Damascus, Paul's goal or Paul's consuming passion had been to know Christ more, to know him more, to know him fully. The apostle's greatest desire, his His supreme aim or goal in this life was, as one commentator put it, and I shared this with you last week, the ultimate and complete gaining of Christ. That's his goal. That's his his passion. Having come to know Christ, now he wants all of him, all that he can have of him. Full knowledge of Christ, full conformity to Christ. That's his passion. He's tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And he wants all that he can have of the Lord. To know him fully, intimately. Be conformed to him. To gain him. To be with him. Okay? As one uh, commentator said, ever since Paul was grasped and apprehended by Christ, he has desired to grasp and apprehend Christ. That's good. I like that. That's good. The Apostle Paul makes it plain, though, in our passage that his supreme goal had not yet been reached. He had not yet arrived. He, he does not yet have a complete gaining of perfect union with and full knowledge of Christ. Not yet. He has not yet reached the fullest conformity to him, to Christ. And so he presses on. He presses on toward the goal. He moves rapidly and decisively toward it. He does not consider 
or he does not consider to have yet laid hold of it. As one writer says, he recognizes that his partial knowledge of Christ is a very long way from knowing Christ as much as he desires to know Christ. And so he has only one goal, only one goal. And that's why he says, but one thing, or just one thing in verse 13a. And then in the rest of 13, this is, we're just doing a review here. I'm about to pick up where we left off. In the rest of 13 and 14, Paul develops this short interjection, but one thing, he develops it by using wording that pictures a runner in an athletic contest, okay? And that is where we're gonna pick up. But one thing, back to verse 13, but one thing, I have not yet gained or laid hold of it, but one thing, okay, you with me? Forgetting what lies behind, And straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's break it down, beloved, phrase by phrase, all right? Forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind. Again, the language is, it's the language of the games, of the Greek games, of an athletic runner in the games, so what was Paul doing as he ran, as he ran, if you will, in the Christian race toward the goal? What was he doing? What was he doing as he ran toward the consuming passion of his life? Well, he first points out what he wasn't doing. What he wasn't doing as he ran. He wasn't looking over his shoulder at the track that he had already covered. Or at the part of the race he had already completed. Have the imagery of an athletic contest and a runner running towards the goal on the track, all right? So that'll help you as we read the passage. That's what he wasn't doing as he ran. The word forgetting here is in the present tense, which indicates a continuous forgetting, or you could say a constant effort on his part to not focus on or be preoccupied with things that were now behind him. To not let those things, as one commentator put it, absorb his attention and impede his progress. What things might that be? What things might that be? Because he doesn't state them. Well, in light of the context, it seems best to understand that the things behind Paul, that he is making a continual effort to not focus on or be preoccupied with as he runs toward the goal are things that are part of the Christian race that he has already covered or things concerning his Christian life since he has been apprehended by Christ. Verse 12. Or to say it another way, his past experiences as a follower of Christ. I only say that, uh, and I only point that out because some think maybe he's speaking of his past going all the way back to even before he was a Christian. But more likely, based on the context, 
He's talking about his life since he has been a Christian, which would be at least a couple of decades. And he makes it his aim as he runs forward to not be preoccupied with his past experiences as a Christian. One writer says, as we're trying to figure out what exactly is he talking about so that we can make application to our own lives, right? That's what we need to get at. Otherwise, we just have imagery, but it's hard to make application of it. One writer says, what is this forgetting of the past which he urges with such emphasis? He says this, it is the sort of dwelling on the past that hinders our present effort and our future progress. It's the sort of dwelling on the past that hinders our present effort and our future progress. Another author says this, Paul does not recall the things God has achieved through him in order to encourage self-satisfaction or relaxation of effort. He will not allow either the achievements of the past, which God has wrought, or for that matter, his failures as a Christian to prevent his gaze from being fixed firmly on the finish line. In this sense, he forgets as he runs. He forgets as he runs. So again, it's not as if um, he forgets through the process of amnesia or poor memory. Kind of like when we talk about God forgetting our sins. It's not as if God ever forgets them, like he can't recall them. Rather, he chooses not to be focused on them, not to recall them. And so that's the same idea here, but in this case, he's not recalling, he's choosing not to recall his past, or be, I should say, preoccupied with it or focused on it, which includes the good and the bad in his Christian experience. If he becomes preoccupied with the good, then he may become self-satisfied. Hey, I'm doing pretty good. I've arrived. Look all that God has done. And lose his focus on chasing after the prize. If he becomes preoccupied on the bad, well, he can enter into despair. And that's kind of one of the things that stood out to me, his failures as a Christian or your failures as a Christian as we begin to apply this to ourselves, which would be the idea of stumbling or falling down, if you will, if we're keeping the imagery alive. Imagine the runner, imagine the runner stumbles or falls down. Have you seen that in a race? Uh, A good runner, a disciplined runner, if possible, will get back up, set his eye back on the finish line, and run with all of his might. Uh, a runner not so disciplined might be so preoccupied in his head, stuck in his head thinking about the fall that just happened that he loses sight and loses focus and may not even complete the race. Or at least slow down. Okay. I agree with one scholar who said despair over our failures can give rise to defeatism and backward looking and backward looking. So I think this is a good word 
from the Lord, from the Apostle Paul. I could illustrate it this way. This is a phrase that we use a lot. I think you'll be familiar with it. Keep your eyes on the prize. Have you heard that phrase? Keep your eyes on the prize. Now, we could use that, we could apply that phrase here, but I've, used it in all, I've heard it used in all kinds of different con- contexts, so maybe this will help you kind of get, get the idea of how you apply it now to the Christian race and keeping your eyes on the prize, which we'll get to in a second what the prize is, but hopefully you have an idea of that already. But it's used in physical fitness goals, right? If someone has a, or a weight goal or a, a gaining of muscle goal or whatever, you know, all those physical fitness goals, right? If someone is doing well, they're making progress, but they have not yet achieved the final stage of that. They're still going towards it, right? You, don't, you wanna rejoice with them in their progress, but you, don't, you also want them to stay focused and not get so satisfied, self-satisfied in their progress that they forget to keep pressing hard. And if they have a setback in their goal, their physical fitness goal, you don't want them to remain set in their minds on that, constantly thinking about that and feeling sorry for themselves or what's happened or their failure, but you want them to again put it behind you and look back at that goal and press on. We do the same thing with financial goals. Uh, Speaking of financial goals, keep your eyes on the prize. Educational goals, college, whatever, right? It's that idea. Are you with me? Do you get me? Do you understand me? Good, good, I hope so. All right, so that's the idea. Keep your eyes on the prize. And you can't do that if your eyes are locked behind you or fixed behind you, whether that be good or bad. As one writer put it, Paul's practice of forgetting the past gave him freedom for straining toward the future, right? He doesn't, that's off of him, that's off of him. He's focused. So whatever has occurred, whatever God has done, I am glad for those things, but I, I haven't yet got there, so I'm still going there. You get it? And even along the way, I've had some setbacks, some serious setbacks, but I'm still pressing forward. I'm not living in that anymore. I choose not to. And of course, that's a choice because, geez, I don't know, the mind has a way of recalling stuff over and over again, so this is why it's a discipline. I will not look back. Okay? Philippians 3.13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So we looked at the first phrase, forgetting what lies behind. This frees him now to strain forward to what lies ahead. But let's look at that phrase. It's in the present tense. It's one word in the Greek, compound word. It's in the present tense. One scholar says, this word continues the athletic metaphor. It is particularly graphic, this Greek word, bringing to mind the straining muscles, think of a runner, clear focus and complete dedication of the runner in his race to the prize. Another says, it pictures a runner with his eyes fixed on the goal, his hand stretching out toward it. It powerfully describes the runner's intense desire and utmost effort to reach his goal. Nothing nonchalant about this. Nothing apathetic. This is all in. This is all in. Another says this, this verb means to exert oneself to the uttermost, 
to the uttermost. Every thought and every emotion reaches out in eager anticipation of arriving at the goal. This scholar adds this. I thought this was uh, good. He says the temptation to drop out of the race and simply enjoy life seduced many to set their mind on earthly things. We'll see in 3.9. We see that, right? 3.9. In contrast, Paul's image of himself as a runner inspires passionate perseverance in the life of faith in Christ. And then he says this, and hear it, hear it. Faith is not simply a decision in the past or a static state of existence. Faith is running a race, straining toward what is ahead. That's Christianity. That's real Christianity. It's not about what happened five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago when you profess faith in Christ. That's the beginning of the race. That's your entrance into the race. And then Christianity is a life of running that race, running toward the prize, the, Christ, the very race that Christ has put you into. So in verse 13, Paul describes how he runs in the Christian race. That's what he's describing to you. This is how I run. In verse 14, Paul speaks of the goal and prize towards which he runs so hard. And as uh, one commentator points out, the goal and prize here, as we look at it, they're virtually identical as, as he speaks about the goal and the prize. Maybe though viewed perhaps from different aspects. He says, when the goal was reached, the prize would be fully his. So he's making progress. He's in pursuit of the prize. He desires to have, have it in full, but he's, he's, he's pursuing it. He sees the goal line, and at the goal line, the prize is there, and he's making progress toward that prize. He's told you how he's run how he's running, now he describes the prize itself. So let's look back at the text. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to recap because I just want to keep making sure we, we're getting it as we go, okay? So here's a recap. But one thing, I press on toward the goal. Paul had not yet arrived. He had made progress in the race, but he had not yet completed the Christian race or reached the finish line. He had not yet, beloved, entirely apprehended or comprehended Christ. He had not yet achieved a full and complete gaining of Christ, a perfect union with Christ, a full and complete knowledge of Christ. He had not yet attained ultimate conformity to Christ. He was being conformed to Christ, but not yet in the ultimate sense has he attained that. He had not yet arrived at the apex of Christianity. He had not yet fully apprehended all that he was sovereignly called and rescued by God in Christ Jesus to attain. And so he presses on. He keeps running straight toward the goal. Is that you? Is that you? 
I mean, are, as, you, as we're hearing this, you know, you're thinking it through, is that, is that me? Is that, what I'm, is that what my Christian life is about? Is that how I would define my Christianity? Paul continues to make progress toward the finish line. The prize that Paul is chasing after is described here as, as the prize of, you, you, could trans, you could understand it this way, the prize belonging to, you could, the prize of or belonging to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I don't want to make this more complicated than it needs to be, so upward. Let's just, we'll just kind of break it down. Upward. Well, the definition, if you look it up, it's, uh, well, as you might imagine, up, <laughs> above, or upward. Above or upward. So this is kind of, it's worth pointing out because it can either be origin, up, like where it's coming from, or it can be direction, upward. It can be speaking of both ideas. So, uh, one commentator thinks it's both ideas, upward. The word indicates the direction of the call. It's an upward call. We'll talk about call in a second. The direction of the call and the origin of the call. It's uh, coming from above. You with me? It's coming a call that's coming from above, and it's directing you above. Heavenward. It's coming, so that means it's coming from heaven, and it's directing you to heaven. Okay? Uh, other scholars think the emphasis is not so much on the origin of the call, but the direction. You know, okay, whatever. Both. I, I, I'm good with both. It's uh, coming from above and directing you upward. Okay, heavenly, heavenwards. Calling, this word that Paul uses here, or upward call, it's used elsewhere by Paul, as scholars point out, to denote or to communicate the effective call of God that brings men to salvation. It's a saving call, his electing call. It's the effective call of God that brings men to salvation. One writer says the expression upward call is similar to the expression seen in Hebrews 3.1, their heavenly calling, heavenly calling, which there certainly refers to the divine call to salvation, the divine call to salvation. So let's get it all together. The prize that Paul is chasing after is described here as the prize that belongs to the divine call of salvation, the divine call made by God himself. It belongs to that. As uh, one person puts it this way, it's preferable to regard Paul as speaking of the goal and prize for which believers have been called to salvation in Christ. The goal or prize for which believers have been called to, effectively called, this electing call, have been called by God to salvation in Christ. The prize then is, is part of and is guaranteed then by God's saving purposes at work in Paul and in all his children that he has called to himself. So what is the prize? What is the prize? It belongs to God's upward call in Christ Jesus, his saving work in the believer's life. What is the prize? In the context, I would... Uh, suggest to you that the prize, as this uh, commentator put it, is the full and complete gaining of Christ. That's the prize. That's the prize. That's the prize of our electing call. 
That's the prize that Paul is running toward, pursuing the full and complete gaining of Christ. As one puts it, the greatest reward is to know fully and so to be in perfect fellowship with the one who had apprehended Paul on Damascus Road. And so it is for us as well, if he has apprehended us. If he has apprehended us. In fact, one translation, um, while it, it is not a, a close word for word necessarily translation of what's in the original text, and they do make some interpretive decisions in trying to make it a little bit easier for you to, to understand the text. So they're, they're making an interpretive decision here in the way that they're translating verse 14. But uh, I found it to be very helpful. It puts it this way, verse 14. God has appointed me to win it. He's speaking of the prize. The heavenly prize is Christ Jesus himself. That's the prize. And of course, it's full conformity to Christ, full knowledge of Christ, perfect union with Christ, all of those ideas, gaining Christ, apprehending Christ, comprehending Christ in full. That's the prize that we as Christians should be pursuing in the way that Paul is describing and looking and longing for. It won't be completed until glory but we are making progress in these things now. In fact, well, we should be making progress in these things now. God has called us to that very thing and set us in the race for that very purpose. Pursue Christ. Pursue Christ. Pursue Christ. Now, verses 15 and 16. By the way, do you think of, I wonder, I, you know, I just want to pause for a second. Do you think, if, I'm sorry, sorry back there. Um, I did want to pause. The heavenly prize is Christ Jesus himself. Is that how you think about it, the heavenly prize? No, that's, that's what I'm after. I've heard heaven described in so many ways. And, and certainly there are a number of benefits and glories and, that come to those who uh, will be found with God in heaven and his eternal state and the kingdom to come. But uh, the prize? Is it, you know, just, oh, I don't have any woes anymore or, I'll be with my loved ones. Well, that's definitely something to look forward to, for sure. But the prize. Is it Christ Jesus? Is it Christ Jesus? Because that is the prize. There is no greater prize. That's how Paul saw it. That's how he lived his life. To know him and to know him in full. I make progress. I'm, I'm living for that. I know it's coming, but I've been put into a race to pursue the fullness of that and to make progress in my knowledge of Christ, in my conformity to him, that I might be more like him and know him in that way, that there might be less of me and more of him because to have him is everything. To have him is everything. Verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Uh, the NIV translates it, 
take such a view of things. Let those of us who are mature take such a view of things. Uh, the NASB translates it, have this attitude. Let those of us who are mature have this attitude. Take such a view of things. Think this way. What way? In the way he was just talking about. And if in anything you think otherwise, or as the NIV translates it, and if on some point you think differently, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Okay, so spiritual maturity then is taking Paul's view of things. Right, so this isn't just for Paul. Remember I had said that before. This isn't just an apostle, an apostle Paul's thing. Yeah, 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 I know, you know. He had that encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. No wonder he's all lit up about Christ. You know, he had a special calling. And, he, and he, in a sense, he did. He, there, there are no other apostles. I mean, there are no more apostles. There were other apostles. He had a special calling, a special purpose for God, but his salvation was the same uh, that it is for us. Uh, his Christ was the same as it is for us. Uh, God's purposes in seeing him be conformed to Christ is the same for us. Uh, his pursuit of Christ should be the same for us. It should be the same. In fact, he now applies it to the church. Let those of us who are mature think this way. So spiritual maturity then is taking Paul's view of things, having Paul's attitude and adopting Paul's way of thinking, as one writer puts it. Is that the way you think? Is this how you think? Well, how is that? Well, let me read this. The mature attitude exhibited by Paul, well, it combines genuine humility, knowing that he, we have not already arrived at the goal. Look, I'm not there. I'm not, I'm not completed. I'm not perfect yet. I haven't attained what I'm after, but I am after it. I haven't arrived I mean, someone might look at Paul and go, you've arrived, Paul. No, I haven't. I'm still in pursuit of him with everything I've got, not looking behind but straining forward. And I want you to have the same attitude, the same mindset, the same way of thinking. So the mature attitude exhibited by Paul combines genuine humility, knowing that we have not already arrived at the goal. You talk to some Christians, they act, it sounds like they've already arrived. I'm sorry, the Apostle Paul, 20 years into his ministry, and all the change that God had done in him and, and worked in him and accomplished through him, and he says, I haven't got it yet. I'm still after it. So humility. Oh, I've been a Christian for, okay, great. That's fantastic. I'm glad you have. What I, sh what I hear, I... I've, been the pr I've had the privilege of being a Christian for this long, and oh, what God has done, and I am still after more. I'm still pursuing him. I haven't backed down. I haven't slowed down. I haven't turned away. I haven't taken a break. I need a little vacation from this pursuit of Christ stuff, you know, or I'm done. I've, I've achieved it already. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? That wasn't the way Paul saw things. Until the very end, man, he's in pursuit to know him, to be conformed to him more, to be more like Christ and thereby know him to a greater degree, to have a deeper relationship, 
What, you've already arrived? That'd be like, you know, even, look, my wife and I have a, uh, a, f- a fantastic relationship. I mean, it's good, right? 30 years. So do I say now, hey, we're done. <laughs> you know, I know you as well as I need to know you, woman. And, uh, <laughs> and I know her pretty darn well. And our relationship is as good as it's gonna get, okay? I mean, it's good. You're happy with that, right? I hope, no, I want to grow, I, wanna, I want my relationship to be even stronger, deeper. I want to know her better. And of course, she's not Christ. Right? So how much more? With Christ. I want to grow, I want to. So, The mature attitude exhibited by Paul combines genuine humility knowing that we have not already arrived at the goal and wholehearted commitment, sorry, straining toward the goal. That's the attitude. That's the way of thinking. Is that you? Is that you? Is that you? You know, yeah. When Christians, uh, they first start out in the race, they initially get saved. Generally speaking, they're all about this man. They just want more of him. They want to know him. Give it to me, everything you got. I want to walk with him. I want to see him at work in my life. That's why it's awesome to be around new Christians. And then they're in the race a little while, and I, I don't know what happens. I mean, I do, because you know, we all have the temptation, but it's almost like they just step out of the race and go into the stands and watch others run. Or they get bogged down along the way. They have some disappointments or setbacks. Maybe some serious sin. And they just sit down. Stop running. Got to strain toward the goal. Or they stay in the race a while and they, and they feel self-satisfied. I'm good. What do you mean read the Bible? I've already done that. What? What? And the truth is, most haven't even done that. I mean, when you talk to Christians, have you ever read through the Bible? I mean, how do you think you're going to get to know him? I mean, in a greater way, in a deeper way. You think you're going to do it without reading the revelation of him? This is why we, you know, we, we, we press the word. We, we keep encouraging you. Read the word. Study the word. Know the word. Because in the reading and studying and knowing of the word, you will come to know your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in a greater, deeper, more intimate way. Yeah, I need to wrap these, this up. but I did like this. I wanted, to sh- I wanted to read this to you. This was really, I thought, so helpful, right, as we're considering these things. This uh, commentator said this. The attitude of those, this is so good because we're thinking about athletic race, right? But sometimes, like in an athletic race, you would think it's a little different because you, you're competing for the prize and you're looking to push the other guy out or beat him, beat him or her in the race, yeah? But the Christian race is different in this way. He says this. The attitude of those who press on toward the goal to win the prize 
And this is the case for Paul. This is the case for Paul. So we see it here. It's not explicit, but it's implied. We see it in the fact that he's encouraging them to do the very thing that he's doing, to press forward, to reach for the prize, the very prize that he's reaching for, right? Because it's not a prize for one. It's a prize for all who are in Christ, right? So he says this, the attitude of those who press on toward the goal to win the prize is not an individualistic, competitive attitude of runners who run alone to beat everyone else, This attitude draws people together as they focus their community on knowing Christ and following Christ. Paul does not offer his self-portrait to put himself above or beyond others, but to unite others with him in the common pursuit to know Christ. He's not like, look at me, man. I'm an awesome runner. You pathetic losers. No, Look at me, I'm running and I want you to run with me. I want to encourage you in the race. So this isn't just about my individual race, beloved, or your individual race, but are you encouraging the one sitting next to you or behind you or who lives in your home to run the race? To forget what lies behind, to strain forward to the prize, to reach for it, to pursue it, to stay fixed on it. And then, you know, that's a general statement, but then you practically get at that. Studying the word of God, reading the word of God, submitting to Christ, living for Christ, praying to the Lord, all of those things. Huh? So Paul wishes each of them to be mature and therefore to be characterized by the same Christ-centered ambition that he has. And that would, would, it's why we have the letter and also for us. That's why God gave us a letter that we too, 2,000 years removed from the letter, would also have this Christ-centered ambition that it would be the way we think about our Christianity, the way we act. You know, the Judaizers, remember those are the folks creating problems in the church, right? Their focus was a little different. But I can imagine the Judaizers coming along and claiming to be more spiritually mature. I mean, look, if you really want to know what's up, you need to do these things, you need to get circumcised, that's how you're going to be really mature like us. They don't, uh, they don't take Paul's view of things. They do not have Paul's attitude. They have not adopted Paul's way of thinking. So he says to them, think like I think. You want to be mature? This is what spiritual maturity looks like. An all-out pursuit of Christ, growing in Christ, knowing Christ. And it's kind of, it's really cool. He says, and if, any, if in anything you think otherwise, and if on some point you think differently, God will reveal that also to you. You know, I've read stuff on this, and it's like it starts to get kind of complicated, but I found this, and I thought it was helpful because it's really beautiful that Paul knows ultimately that God's doing a work, and we're kind of, you know, we don't all think right about everything. None of us, including this guy. We're messed up, you know? We don't got it. We don't got everything. We got some things right, I hope, but uh, we don't always get it exactly right, or we have a hard time getting at it because we have other things that are conflicting, So one writer says, Paul recognizes that there will be differences on some points, even when members of the community sincerely desire to have the same attitude in the pursuit of Christ as Paul has. 
But without any sign of anxiety or resentment, he allows his readers freedom to discover how to develop a mature attitude with assurance that God will make clear to them how to handle their differences. Paul's confidence in God, God will reveal this to you, echoes his repeated expression of confidence in God's work in the community, which we saw in Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you think otherwise, or if on some point you think differently, one scholar says he, he trusts that God will remove any remaining inadequacies or inconsistencies in their Christian outlook so that they can fully and completely have the same mind that Paul has, the same attitude, the same approach to the Christian faith. Finally, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Verse 16, again, Paul encourages the entire church, including himself, to maintain their progress in the faith. This is a good church. They've made progress already. The verb attained here signifies that they have already arrived at a point in their journey, in their race, and reached a level of understanding and conduct in their faith that sets a high standard, as this writer says, for their future belief and behavior. So Paul's appeal to live up to or hold true to, it means to be in line with the very standards set by their progress so far. Paul's affirmation of the attainment that they have already achieved assures his readers that he's not criticizing them for any lack of progress, right? He's not saying, I can't believe you guys haven't even got out of the gates yet. No, you've made great progress. Don't give up on that. Continue. He's not telling them to go a different direction, but continue to live according to what you've already attained. Stay the course, stay focused. Pursue Christ. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I thank you for your word. And, and Lord, I pray that it would uh, work in our hearts and minds that we might even just ask ourselves a question. Are, are we running hard after Christ? Is this us? Are we thinking as Paul thinks? Because this is what spiritual maturity looks like. Are we forgetting what lies behind? Are we straining forward? Are we... Is, it our, is our greatest ambition in life to know Christ even more in a, in a more significant way, in a deeper way? And if it is, then there's going to be things that we're going to be doing in our lives in order to pursue that end and to make those gains. Father, reveal those things to us. Reveal those things to us. I ask it all in Christ's name, amen.